0: Thank you for joining us for the Vetfolio podcast entitled Focus on Felines, What's New? Brought to you in part through the support of Elanco Companion Animal Health. During this session, we'll explore new data, products, and formulation of opioids and NSAIDs for use in cats. We're pleased to bring you today Dr. Mark Epstein, a board-certified diplomat for the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners and Senior Partner and Medical Director for Total Bond Veterinary Hospitals, a group of five AHA-accredited primary care hospitals in North Carolina. And now, Vetfolio is proud to present Dr. Epstein.
1: Welcome to the podcast. We're going to drill down a little bit more into cats and dealing with them and chronic pain and a little bit more information on using nonsteroidals in this species. Keeping in mind that we've got basically two that we can work with with a possibility of a third with some experience. The two that have a label in the U.S. are meloxicam and robenacoxib. Meloxicam, however, in the U.S. has a label for 0.3 mg per kg. is the only place on the planet Earth that is labeled like that as a sub-Q injection one time. Everywhere else in the world, it is 0.2 mg per kg first dose, followed by 0.05 mg per kg orally. So why the U.S. have this enormous dose? I don't know. It may have contributed to the reason that we ended up getting some cats in renal failure that prompted the black box to go on, and that black box, of course, has given a lot of people heartburn ever since. However, there are studies to show its safety, obviously, because it has been labeled for more chronic use everywhere else in the world except here in the U.S., albeit at low doses. So the other one that's on the market today in the United States is robenacoxib, And robenacoxib has a couple of things about it, one of which is very cool but not unique. The other is very cool and unique. And the thing that is cool but not unique is that it goes to the site of inflammation, sits there for 24 hours. So how does it do that? I mean, it's not like there's fairy dust or something in it. The, the molecule is just very highly protein-bound, and so it goes to where the inflammation is. And that's why it sits there for that length of time. That is cool but not unique because other non do that as well, including meloxicam and others. What is cool and unique is that the plasma half-life is only 1.7 hours, one and a half hours, which means it is only in circulation for a very short period of time, it's not bathing other organs during the whole time that it's there, but sits at the site of inflammation for 24 hours. So that is actually quite unique. When we look at using these kinds of compounds and some of the safety data about robenacoxib, it may be why that you look at some studies that are using it at 5X and 10X for weeks and, for, and 5X even months without serious adverse events, and it, it, particularly on the kidney, not adverse events. That feature of this very short plasma half-life makes it stand out, stand out. You know, in contradistinction to meloxicam, and the half-life of meloxicam is like 15 hours. So it's there for quite a period of time circulating in the body. But when we think about using it for osteoarthritis, or degenerative joint disease in the cats, uh, meloxicam I'm talking about, it has some pretty interesting data about it, using it long-term. First of all, in Europe, the European label for meloxicam is 0.05 mg per kg, Once a day, indefinitely, for musculoskeletal pain. Now, how it gets that kind of a label, you know, it's above my pay grade to figure out, but that is the label. Then we start looking at some of the actual literature that is out there, and I'll tell you about one in 2008. The last name is GNU, G-U-N-E-W, if you want to look it up. These cats were given given low dose now, so 02, .02 milligrams per kilogram, once a day for six months, and these cats did really well. They tolerated it very well. But I want you to keep in mind that it was a non-blinded retrospective study, and the authors didn't randomize. They only included the cats that looked pretty good. They did not include cats that did not look great. And furthermore, whenever you see cats that respond to this, remember the placebo effect. There's a caregiver placebo effect. Don't you want to know how high the caregiver placebo effect is in cats. I will tell you in dogs, it's about 45 50% as far as we know. And in cats, unpublished data, it's 80 maybe up to 90%. You can give anything to a cat, and generally owners will think that the cat is getting better. So that's one limitation to that. Then we have the Gowan study in 2011. These were cats that were stable chronic kidney disease cats, Iris 1 to 3, That also did well at 0.02 mg per kg once a day. And in fact, the creatinines tend to trend down. But again, not a randomized study, and so the cats that were going to maybe not do well were not included in the study, or not do as well were not included in the study. But the creatinines did tend to trend down rather than up. So the authors concluded that it did not hasten the kidney disease. And given the fact that 60% of cats with degenerative joint disease also have chronic kidney disease that's an important study to say that at low doses monitor carefully you should be able to do okay now Gawin had a 2012 study where he basically just looked at survival times of cats with chronic kidney disease that were given or not given a meloxicam at these low doses 0.02 mg per kg and there was no difference in survival time so that's pretty impressive and the last one was just about a year year and a half ago where a study was done looking at actual objective data and the cats that got meloxicam actually were more active at night, and that's like one of the first times that we had a blinded, placebo-controlled study. So, again, with meloxicam, based on this data we have, you've got a rationale to use it at these low doses once a day for quite a period of time, although, of course, monitoring safely. In Robinicoxib, I mentioned the impressive safety data using it in young cats at like multiples of the labeled dose, so five times the labeled dose, ten times the labeled dose, for several weeks, even a few months, and that the adverse effects were tolerable. There were some GI problems like you and I or a dog might get, but no renal failure. And then just recently, King, 2015, looked at robinococcin for one month in cats with chronic kidney disease, stable iris one and two, and at labeled doses, not low doses, but labeled doses, and these cats did very well with no significant problems on adverse events clinically or on their laboratory findings. So with both of these products, we have a a, a rationale to use them long-term. There's even a study, this is not a labeled for cats product, but peroxicam has been used in cats chronically for neoplasia, and those cats did pretty well with its main side effect being GI as well, but of course the cats were getting chemo and other things as well, so it's hard to know what the peroxicam was doing as well. Again, we have a, a kind of a rationale for using especially meloxicam and robenacoxib, meloxicam at very low doses for a time, perhaps six months, maybe longer, 0. 0.02 mix per kg. And then Rubinicoxa basically the standard label dose, one to two mix per kg, once a day for at least a month in cats with kidney disease, and frankly, probably longer, or you can go down to every other day or every third day, whatever suits you. Do be cautious. Obviously, monitor these cats carefully and as a patient, and be sure that the owners well understand that there is a point, if these cats are not eating very well, they look as they're losing weight, you need to stop the non-steroidal and then recheck them. And of course, we can always put them maybe back, but getting sub-Q fluids and manage these cats like you might any with chronic kidney disease. When we start looking at other kinds of opioids long-term, the opioids come up, buprenorphine. I'm not sure that it's something we're going to use for osteoarthritis in a very protracted kind of a way. When we start thinking about using drugs like tramadol, That can be done in cats. They do make the opioid metabolite. It's very difficult to give it to cats. It's very bitter, but it can work with them if it can be gotten into them. All right, so the next uh, drug we'll look at is gabapentin in cats, and we actually have good kinetic data in cats. It has good bioavailability in cats. And in fact, uh, when looking at studying it in cats for osteoarthritis or degenerative joint disease, There is a case series of three cats where it was used for musculoskeletal pain, and then there is an unpublished study used in cats with degenerative joint disease, unpublished now, has not reached publication, for five weeks at five mix per kg, and then the dose was ramped up to 10 mix per kg every eight hours, and these cats improved. And they didn't improve just in their ability to move and their mobility, they actually had less pain, believe it or not, in their feet. So it was hip away, but their feet were more comfortable. Speaks again to the ability of some patients to have hypersensitization with chronic pain, where the pain was removed from the original site of inflammation, and how gabapentin ostensibly seems to be able to help with that sensitization part of the process. Cats have a prospective benefit from injectable polysulfated glycosaminoglycan. We do have an abstract that was put out at one of the meetings a number of years ago, looking at Adequin that was radio labeled, injected sub-Q, it did distribute to all the joints. That does not mean that we have a clinical data on it, but that it is used with fair frequency in cats with degenerative joint disease, and prospectively with a fairly wide margin of safety. Then we have meripotent. This is a anti-nausea agent that can be used in dogs and cats. It's a substance P Locker, kind of an NK1 antagonist where substance P cannot bind to that receptor. And because that's how it works in the brain, those same molecules and receptors are elsewhere in the central nervous system, especially the spinal cord. And to the extent that it might be a pain modifying effect is possible. There are some studies to show that it can reduce anesthetic requirements and some other things. It's not a settled matter. And in fact, this molecule failed as a kind of a medication for pain in human beings. Having said that, this drug, using it orally, on a daily or every other day basis, in cats with IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, is fairly common, and these cats seem to do well. To the extent that these cats are feeling better either because they are less nauseous because of their IBD, or because they are less uncomfortable, we don't know. But I will tell you that inflammatory bowel disease is absolutely in humans a painful condition. I know we tend to think of IBD as being a problem with diarrhea, vomiting, constipation, weight loss perhaps. But in humans, it is all of that and it's painful. And again, it seems to be a kind of a neuropathic condition where the intestines have become the peripheral tissue, the target organ. And speaking of that, you might recall I was talking about using drugs that would target the bladder as a target organ for pain as part of its feline idiopathic cystitis. And some people are using meripotent for it as well. So having said that, we have a number of different products that are out to be used in these domains. Amitriptyline has been used for feline idiopathic cystitis for several years, thinking that it was reducing anxiety, but maybe we're reducing pain as well. So we have no solid evidence on the types of medications best used for DJD and cats, no systematic review, but we do have evidence that nonsteroidals play an important role and that it may be that the other modalities I've mentioned to do as well. A
0: lot more research needs to be done. Thank you for tuning in. We hope that you've enjoyed Dr. Epstein's remarks today. If you have not already joined us for Dr. Epstein's in-depth web conference entitled Rethink Osteoarthritis, an Evidence-Based Approach, please visit us online at vetfolio.com for details on his lecture or to access any of our past web conferences. On behalf of Vetfolio and Alonco Companion Animal Health, thank you for participating in this podcast.